All right, everyone. It is Thursday, and we're at a special time today, 2 o'clock Eastern instead of 1. But the wait was worth it because today we have Kevin Clune from MSP Growth Hacks, uh, who, quite frankly, uh, has a pretty good story. How are you doing today, Kevin? Good. How are you? Oh, you know, you're breaking things, fixing things, turn it up, the huge. Nice. Um, so I'm, I'm less than a week back from being on the road, so still trying to get caught up. But here you're a little bit under the weather, so I appreciate you, yeah. you know, working with me here and, and coming on board. Yep. Thanks. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, all good. I'll make sure you get a little bit of extra Gatorade after this. How about that? <laughs> Thanks. All good. So, Kevin, um, for people who don't know you, right, why don't you like, – Zoom backwards in the DeLorean, right? Give us a little bit of your background, how you got into the industry, how you got into the MSP space, your journey through that, right? That's a pretty, you know, interesting story. I'll throw you some questions as you're going through that maybe, but, you know, kind of handing the microphone over and, and let's hear about your journey. Cool. Yeah, so I was actually, um, I was a, a marketer first, you know, I, I, specialized actually in Google AdWords, uh, actually went through the story a little bit in uh, recently with a conversation with Paul Green, but um, basically specialized in uh, generating leads. Uh, you know, I used to cater to like call centers, people that needed like a high volume of leads that would, they would call on them instantly, that kind of thing. It was a lot of B2C. Um, I was doing, you know, financial, legal, mortgage, that kind of thing you know, I, it was purely based on opportunity. It wasn't like a, a company that I meant to grow. I actually, once I got into it, I really didn't love my customers. I didn't love what I was doing. Uh, I loved the process of it. Um, I, I loved like the technology and managing the campaigns, the creative side, but my customers were they just like wanted leads. They didn't care how they got them. Let's see. Yeah. So like, did you get into the marketing side right out of school? Like, how did you get into like, even, you know, the business world coming, you know, coming right into it from the beginning? So I actually, um, I did a lot like on my own, just sort of creating websites. I was an affiliate marketer. So I had created like a portfolio of websites that generated some income it was small you know it was like uh, a few of them were generating like a couple dollars a day whatever but it was just it's what taught me like wordpress uh which was really early at the time it's what kind of taught me all of those techniques but the problem was you know when you're not really making money you know google ads for example is pay to play so I couldn't really learn that until I had either a lot of money coming in off of the affiliate uh, network side and, uh, or basically I just had somebody else's budget to spend. And then, so that's actually what ended up happening. Um, I was doing this kind of like moonlighting and I had two jobs. I worked for, uh, believe it or not, like a toxicology company during the day. And I was bartending on South street, Philadelphia at night at a, a beautiful little spot called the Blarney. Of course. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure. And so um, I actually had somebody that came in and they were regular and they, they were like, we were talking about marketing. I was telling him the stuff that I was doing with all these websites and he thought it was really cool. And he said like, we're, my company's looking for 
someone to generate leads for us. Uh, do you know how to use Google ads? And I said, yeah. I mean, I really, I knew about it. I had an account, I was tinkering, but like I knew that I just needed an opportunity. And so I did that. We actually grew it from like a three, that one customer in particular, uh, we grew that from like a $300 a month budget to like literally at one point at a peak, it was like three grand a day. And they were just, they were adding salespeople as we were generating more leads. They were buying leads elsewhere and they were able to like stop basically generating or buying those leads and start generating them in-house. And so I was able to pretty quickly like pick up other customers that kind of followed that same model. But again, it, it kind of turned out to be a situation where um, I didn't really want to be, gen I, I didn't even have a mortgage myself. I didn't, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not like a, a, an expert in basically generating content and leads for this category. And so, um, I, you know, I actually stumbled across an MSP that also needed this lead gen and, and a similar service. So uh, it was through my cousin uh, who basically went, he's a developer, he went to work at an MSP and he, he got me on board there. And so, um, so I worked with them. They, they were one of my customers. They were not my biggest customer by any means, but I really loved like working with them. I loved the, the strategy that they had. They at the time were trying to, you know, I, I think it was only like two employees. They basically were trying to get to that sort of next level of, um, okay, we're, we're going to start selling managed services. We were break fix. We're going to add VoIP. We're going to add all of these different things. And then I was basically helping them put all this together uh, from a marketing standpoint. Um, and so, you know, we started to generate leads. It was going pretty well. Uh, and then I really don't know like what this, so they, they, they were trying to convince me for a while to just kind of join them and come on board. Um, because, you know, it was a few guys that were my age, we kind of turned out to be friends and it was, you know, they could see I was just getting more and more burnt out from the other business. Um, and so finally, you know, after I was talking to my wife and I was just like, you know, what, I, I realized like there's opportunity in this other stuff, but like, I think I'm going to do this. I think I'm just going to go join, you know, with the MSP, go on board, bring my customers uh, and so th that was the plan was we were going to bring basically all of my marketing contracts under the MSP, offer marketing services as well, but then be able to grow that company from within. And so that's what we did. And we slowly phased out the marketing side of it, because to be honest, that industry started to get more competitive. And I started to see more opportunity in the tech side anyway. And so that was my journey, like from... Uh, being kind of like a, a toxicologist field rep and a bartender to being a marketer and then being an MSP. Okay. That's like everybody, <laughs> like there's multiple paths to life, right? Everybody takes yeah. you know, different ones. So, uh, and by the way, Philly guy too, you know this, but for everyone else out there, you know, right. fly, let's fly. Uh, so, all right, let's zoom back a second. So what is it about, you know, You've been around the block a little a little while. That MSP that you work for was actually on the Jersey side of the bridge, if memory serves. Yeah. I think that MSP ended up they sold it, right? Yeah. So like yeah, so, so, yeah, so, so before, before we get into 
that, right? Because I think all these other questions will field into how that happened or, or the, you know, that process. You know, can you give the, can you give the people who watch this video an idea of, in, at its peak, how big was this MSP? How many endpoints? How many customers? How many employees? Give them an idea. So the, at its peak, I think we were at like 15 employees internally. We actually, once we got to that point, we actually started to outsource the level one help desk. And then by attrition, people started to leave. And then we, so we were growing revenue for a while, but we, every time somebody left, we kind of like shifted people around and then offloaded more of our clients onto a third party help desk. Mm -hmm. And so that was actually one, you know, to set us up for growth. I thought that that was one of the best decisions that we made because to be honest, hiring was a huge issue for us. Um, obviously we were in South Jersey, which you would think is a great place to be because you have New York market, you know, which a lot, we had clients in New York, we had clients in Philadelphia and obviously all that entire Metro. Um, but it was just not easy to get reliable people and can, cycle can, them through. You know this for a fact. <laughs> yeah. I mean, people forget that like Philadelphia has a large, lo I mean, listen, everything in the East coast is very heavily populated. Trivia question for you, Kevin, um, between uh, uh, DC Metro, Boston and Pittsburgh, right? I call it the Northeast triangle. Any idea what percentage of the population in the United States exists in that triangle? Um, no, I'm, Take to think, like, it's, it's pretty dense, right? I mean, so I know like Jersey is the most dense. So I would say, is it like 45%? 41%. Okay. I'm... So think about that, right? 41% yeah. live like in that area. And then the rest yeah. of the country has anyway. So yeah, to your point, like there's pretty big companies in this area, right? SAPs here, um, mm. you know, a bunch of companies, right? You know, generated out of this area, Delaware, Philly, um, you know, Jersey, whatever, but I agree, very hard to get good talent. So that's very interesting, Kevin, because, and listen, not to knock the outside help desk. I know there's a lot of good yeah. companies out there that do that, but a lot of the people feel like you lose a little bit of your magic identity by shifting the out to the outside level one guys. And we did. And that was the thing is like, we, we kind of saw it as like, we have to choose here. Um, so, and, you know, we also were going through, you know, we were trying to change our operations totally with how we were servicing customers and workflows and everything. Um, and so we, you know, there, we had to really set the expectation with the, the client and say, this will change. You know, we had to like reinforce this over and over. Um, but at the end of the day, what they, what we really needed to prove was we will now be able to be more proactive um, if we can take this off of our plate and be able to pass off this level one and we are going to do more projects and, and we actually, we followed through on that. So I think that that is what saved us. Um, sure. They were, they, they didn't have that, uh, personal touch that they were used to with. They pick up the phone and they talk to the same person. Every time there's an issue, they're comfortable with them. But, uh, we actually use a Canadian company. People were very nice you know, far nicer than uh, to be a lot of our, our guys, to be honest, you know? And so um, we didn't, we thought it was like uh, we were missing in that sort of like personal touch, but obviously like 
from a, the standpoint of the way that it was presented, I think everybody was happy with, it was very professional. Um, hmm. So our, that's, you know, we really had to deliver so, on it. So, so the MSP started what year and sold what year? So it actually started, I, I want to say, you know, this was long before I got there. The life cycle of it, I think was 12 years when okay. it was all said and done. And so obviously the first eight of that was like, was the uh, primary owner and him just kind of fixing computers, kind of grew it into these like contracts. And um, then, you know, all of the growth basically happened in the last like two years, even like 18 months. Wow. Um, you know, like uh, it so, was. So did they, so did they add the, did they start shifting L1 to an outside vendor in that same period? Was it four? Like, yeah. Okay. That was like the last 18 months. And so what we were able to do is get it to where we were actually just paying per ticket. Um, and so we had a really good, it was great to be able to show profit and be able to like figure out like what our costs were and figure out the biggest advantage was figuring out, um, who was overutilizing the help desk mm -hmm. from our customers standpoint, uh, because we did have a lot of these all you can eat contracts. And so figuring out a reporting, figuring out like who's overutilizing their contract. And then now like we had this fixed cost and we would be able to say like, Hey, you're creating this many tickets. We've been trying to get you to prevent this. Now it's very easy for us to tell what this costs us and we're losing oh, so, money. So, so let's fun. have a, let's have a business conversation. Yeah. It's all fun and games until you actually have to pay somebody else, right? <laughs> right, right. Like, like this. And by the way, people have been talking about utilization and profitability versus non-profitability by a customer by customer. Like Larry from MSP CFO has been talking about this from the highest hill he can find for a decade, right? Yeah. Uh, but when you're paying an outside vendor for all those calls, <laughs> it, it definitely is something you concentrate on a lot quicker. Yeah, and you're and you also are like you know, cause we needed every reporting metric we could get at that point because we needed to know for a fact, okay, they're billing us this much. Now we need to know exactly what is this? Why was this ticket only um, 15 minutes and this one was an hour and a half, you know? And, and so you start to really dive into that stuff when it's not just getting all lumped together in payroll, which obviously payroll is the biggest expense, but at the same time, when it all gets like lumped together, it's hard to really understand, you know, it's hard to really get down to the, the nitty gritty of like, I would love this I would, actual ticket costs us this much. I would love to know how many people have that level of granularity. I mean, the PSAs all do it, assuming they're set up and they're used properly. But yeah, yeah. I would, I would argue more than 50% of the people out there couldn't even tell you that. Yeah. And, and you know, I don't, from a coaching standpoint, like I usually stay on the marketing side. There's a few occasions where I'll get into the PSA and, and uh, you know, we'll start to, to poke around. Um, but I get in there and I always see like, they don't, they don't have their resource costs in there. So right then and there, you know, if they don't have your resource costs in your PSA, uh, you really don't know how much you're spending on these people that are working your tickets, you know, like uh, there's like that one very set. And then it's very easy to calculate that information, put it on, you know, based on payroll data and, and like, what is this hourly cost that you're paying this person? Um, and just that, you know, there was like this report that we used a lot. It was, uh, it was like a profit loss by contract and it was great. It was like everything we needed to know. Uh, but it, guess what? Like we didn't find that report until like five months before the company. Started. 
<laughs> you know what wow. I mean? And it, but it's just one of those things where you have this PSA, you have all of this stuff at your fingertips, um, but you're also buried in work. And unless there's somebody sitting there proactively going through and tinkering with reports and doing this, doing that, chances are you're probably only scratching like 20% of the features and the reporting and everything that you can do. Isn't, isn't that always the case, man? I mean, that's always the case. So, so let, let me zoom out a second. So you said, hey, this sounds like a typical MSP, by the way, right? Somebody starts very much was, off, yeah. right? They're brake fix or running this out of their trunk, their garage, your basement, whatever. And it builds, it builds, it builds. They start formalizing. So the dude did that for eight years. That's, yeah, I mean, listen, that doesn't sound totally off the beaten trail from everyone else. So like that last segment where you had super growth, like, quite frankly, I think this is part of the struggle for a lot of people out there, right? Like, everybody's running this on their own. They start to add people. They start to add people. They're doing it granularly. Everything's as you go, right? Like the people who are in super growth mode, like it's a whole different view of the world, right? Like they completely change their way of how they run the business. So like one of the areas that people struggle in are sales and marketing, right? We've heard this forever. What is, you know, there's no one secret sauce to this, I think, right? Like, it's not just AdWords. It's not just Facebook. It's not just flyers in the mail, right? Like, you know, what is the level of activity that you need to do to drive hyper growth, you know, you know, especially on the tail end of that journey, right, with that particular MSP? So in our case, it was actually, I, it wasn't any of those things. It was more just focus. It, it was like, um, we started to get into these very specific verticals, and so, for example, one of the biggest ones was the co-working industry in New York City. Um, so there was, we had one client uh, and we, it was actually like, they were owned by a public company. It was a big contract and they had uh, a few of these centers and we actually got the deal through their phone provider. Uh, they used this vertical specific phone provider that we happened to have experience with because of the office space that we were in uh, before. And so it was just kind of like a coincidence. The vendor knew about us and uh, liked working with the owner. uh, And so they gave us this lead. And so that turned into this very large, I think it was like a nine grand a month contract, you know, at its peak for just this one deal. So we actually formalized a relationship with that phone provider after that point And we started to really pay attention to everything else that was in this like co-working stack. So there was an access control company, there was uh, a software company, and there was, everybody was trying to become that sort of like stack for that industry. And so we kind of, from a marketing standpoint, inserted ourselves into that. We started to collaborate with them. We had like co-materials that we put out with them. And then that led to us now getting another company, another company, another client, you know, and so we started to kind of take over and specialize in that industry in New York City. Uh, And those were large contracts. And so (laughs) what's funny is at the end, we didn't really love that business that we were in. Um, There was, you know, you think about these co-working centers, people are like bringing their dog in, they got like, people bringing like random devices in trying to plug them in make this 10 year old Dell computer work. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. It was, it was chaos from, and trying to like manage a network where everybody's just trying to connect random stuff all the time. Uh, nobody, our help desk guys hated it. Um, 
but yeah, from, from a growth standpoint, it was really beneficial. Mm. Um, and so I thought that that, you know, we, we kind of did that in a few other areas on a smaller scale. Uh, but that was really what we started to do is start to think of this in verticals and not necessarily just, Hey, we're a local, uh, company and, and we'll kind of take anybody that comes our way. So it's, so basically I call this like peer marketing, right? Like you're collaborating with somebody else and you're jointly putting assets out, which is the beginning of like inbound marketing, right? Yeah. And so what was great was we, a lot of this was um, done inbound because we were getting referrals from these other companies, but then we also had a very, you know, we were doing email campaigns. Um, we, we were actually able to get basically this company's like list of customers uh, through some research. And it was very easy for us to then target and say like, we know your systems really well. Um, and so, it, you know, if I were to quantify this and say like, what, you know, what does this mean and how can an MSP do it? Cause I think that's what I always, rather than just talk agree. about it, no, you know what I mean? Um, and it's something that I'm doing with MSP growth hacks is like finding the negative space. It's very, you know, I think what MSPs do a lot of times is like, they'll look at that big dog in their market and they'll say like this, here's the formula that they're using. Everything that's on their site, let's put on our website. Uh, you know what I mean? And we just want to be compare ourselves to them and try to get to that level. Uh, but like, I don't know. It's just, it, I don't think that that is, it's never going to work really like you, you, because they've already kind of established themselves. And what I, the way I try to think about it is like, what is that negative space around them? Maybe it's not uh, appealing at first. Like, does anybody want a, a contract that like, say it's like law firms, one to five or one to five employees or one to 10 employees. Uh, if you would ask that company they would say no. Uh, but is, does that mean that there's an opportunity then? for something, you know what I mean? Uh, yes, there is. And so, you know, is it an opportunity for like a typical standard managed services stack that every one of your vendors wants you to offer? No, it's not, you know what I mean? But it doesn't mean that there's, you can't build a business around it. And so that's the way that I think about it is like as an MSP, you're not shackled to the, the business model. You know, this, uh, this co-working thing that we did had really, it was like so far from standard, uh, but we, we made it work and it, and it helped us grow and it helped us get to the point where we needed to get. It's a, it's uh, honestly, Kevin, it's, it's actually a pretty timely topic because people are trying to break out of their comfort zone now because of the current situation, right? Pandemic times. And there, you know, we've heard a lot about people like relaxing on home stuff and home automation or AV or, you know, access control, you know, physical security, right? Like everybody's starting to like, it was all blended to some degree already, right? Now it's really starting to, people are almost like reinventing the wheel a little bit just because there's no project work coming in unless they create something new. So to your point, you know, finding, you know, a niche, um, and, you know, and, and getting into a space that's largely underserved, you know, you're, you know, it's almost like you're going a little bit backwards from what the, you know, the talking heads have been saying for years, right? Hey, I wouldn't do a deal less than X, right? Or I want to take a managed services contract less than this much in recurring revenue or, uh, Hey, this sub five. Nope. Don't, not for me. I, I guess everybody's kind of reevaluating that right now. 
Yeah, it's like because the value of a customer went up because they're, you know, I think that everybody is kind of worried. I know I've I've been talking to some and they're and they're losing customers and they're they're gaining some too, but it's like, you know, when you you start to value them more when you're worried that they're gonna go away. And um I think that like people would be eager to say, like, oh, I'll discount your service or something like that, and just to save a deal. But like, why not just reduce the offering? So, like, if the you know, maybe you are providing more than they need, you're not gonna think it of it that way because probably you're like, you want to get them on that, and you want to, you know, like you want to in- improve their security and increase this and increase that. And, and you have this laundry list of things you want to sell them. But um, I, I don't know. I, I think that you can approach it and say like, if I'm going to choose between losing a cut, you know, losing a customer and then keeping one. Uh, but if I keep them, would I rather discount their service or would I rather just redo their stack and say, I'm going to sort of downgrade it, but I'm going to still make profit. I think mm-hmm. I'd rather do that. Well, I mean, listen, I don't know what you did in that MSP. I mean, you know, I remember the days where it was like, Hey, some stuff covered some stuff, not and then it was like a bronze, gold, silver approach. And then everyone's like, dump the, the, the colors, right? Just go to one plan to rule them all. And that's great when times are great because it makes all the sense in the world. But now we're almost retroing back to, hey, let me create a light plan, right? Let me create like the bare essentials kind of plan again and go after that and try and build some of these guys up. Um, but, you know, w- what's your opinion? And again, in your experience with that MSP in that last segment, you know, were they selling multi-year agreements? Were they selling the, the lower end stuff? Like what made sense at that time and, and what got all of those? I don't know how, how, what the growth was like in that last 18 months, but what, what actually worked in that time? Yeah. So we, we actually developed this thing. We called it like the tech success program, not an overly creative name at the time, but uh, it was essentially like putting our, instead of just saying, here's what you get within these color, you know, bundles, we said, here is our multiple tiers of best practices. So in this lower tier, you might meet these standards. In this tier, you might meet these standards. And in this tier, you might meet these standards. Um, Based on those standards that you meet, you would be eligible for a certain rate um, and so we actually really liked, so by doing this, we actually really liked getting so T&M contracts that were, they had like a base recurring. And so it was like, it covered sort of like the, the basics in the stack and then everything on top of that, uh, we would basically put them into this program. And so what they would do is we would then try to schedule projects and the projects then would be. Uh, basically, uh, you know, think about like a roadmap in order to reduce their monthly rate each time we completed one, because we were trying to get them from this tier to that tier to the next tier. So you Um, basically, I mean, I'm just going to put a label to it. You basically created like an auto insurance policy for the MSP service. Sort of. Yeah. Like the, and actually it's funny because my wife is an insurance agent. I wasn't thinking about it at the time, but like, yeah, like we were trying to get, because this is what we were running into was the overutilization was an issue. We couldn't figure, you know, and so we, we tested this with existing clients. Like that's really 
what we were doing is we were trying to convert them into this model so that now uh, our incentive and your incentive are aligned. Like we, you want to pay us less and we want to, you to pay us less because that means we're doing more work for you. Uh, that's kind of, and, and we're improving your system and then it's lowering our cost because again, kind of going back to what we were saying before, now, because we have a, a, this hard cost per ticket, especially on level one. And so mm. we were able to see, okay, if I move somebody up, yeah, now like we're charging them less, but then fewer tickets are coming in, hypothetically, if, if all goes well. And so, you know, it was, it was cool, yeah. And so like we, we were able to market it. Again, this, this sort of was like the last year of the company that we really had this thing cooking because, you know, you had to, we had to put all the assets together and we had to like go through the process of meeting with existing clients and then starting to pitch it. And then, you know, what the sales cycle was like, so um, I thought that like, we could have done really well with that. Should we have carried that through like another two, three years? Uh, because it was different. It was different than what anybody was doing. It was I'm going very- to tell you, Ken, I, I haven't heard of this concept at all. I'm, this is still new for me now. I mean, Basically, what you're doing is you're built like you've heard of the pain in the ass tax, right? It's like, hey, dude, you're a duct tape bubble gum. You're trying to drive this equipment out until like literally the wheels fall off. All right. You're going to be you're going to be the highest tier, right? I'm going to charge you the most because, you know, everything is a problem for you. And it's like, oh, well, you haven't had any accidents, no tickets. All right. Let's reduce your rate. And then like, oh, accident forgiveness. Right. And it's all like. Like, you know, I don't think I've ever seen this, you know, enacted in MSP land. It's, it's not. And it has, and I've been, I've been like talking about it on our site forever. I've even like tried to get some people that I'm doing coaching for to, to try it out. And I think it's just, uh, and I even have the standards sort of like documented. I talked about it in my book, but it's, you know, I don't know why it's, it, to me, it, it makes the most sense because I'm always thinking of things like, okay, this business relationship, it needs to be like two-sided. We need to have, we, we need to both want the same thing. And like, this is a model and call it MSP, call it whatever you want, but it gets kind of both of us as meaning like the MSP and the customer to have the same interest, which is improve the technology, reduce the costs on both sides because nobody wants to be overpaying for IT. Uh, you know, we don't, if we, as an MSP, if you could charge half the rate and still make profit, why would you necessarily care? So were you, know? you like, so, so, so let me just rewind. So, you know, cause I'm sure somebody's going to watch this and be like, wait a minute, this may make sense. So how did you calculate the base fee? And then were you then charging per device or per user on top of the base? Like, how did you start in the beginning? Yeah. So it was called the base, we called it like monitoring and maintenance. It was sort of, you know, the, it kind of covered all of our, um, you know, the things that we would have to pay no matter what, the RMM, the PSA, like all of those costs. And so that was charged on a per user basis. Um, and then from there, from, you know, then they get like this TNM contract on top of it that basically bills them for everything that happens. Like, so, uh, you know, it's, if I, what's great is it was easier to sell too. Like we, Hmm. we found that people, you know, when, when you present this to someone and they're comparing it to like $120 a head or a hundred dollar head contract, it's like, oh, well, this is only, you know, I think we were selling it for like 35 
which was just for the covered our expenses and then the TNM rates. And so the good thing too, is like we could adjust the TNM rates based on um, like where we were selling it. So, I mean, you know, like New York city, you just double everything. And then they're just like, yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, whereas uh, if you're in, you know, sort of like Philly Metro or Delaware or even like South Jersey, you know, things are not as expensive clearly as New York. So uh, we were able to kind of just adjust the rates. Um, but yeah, it, we were going to get to the point where we were just going to advertise this as like a thing where someone could just sign up for it, like via website without any sort of thing, just completing a survey going through this process, they're like, like an onboarding process. Like that was the, the plan, never got to that point, but that was sort of like what we were thinking is transparent pricing, uh, seamless, like unassisted onboarding, that kind of thing. I mean, that could go the other way, I think. Yeah, Maybe. it could have, but we were, we, you know, we were trying to shake things up. Like that's what, that was the goal from day one was to just not do the same thing. Uh, we tried various other things. We, we were selling through this, you know, like, that's what I say. Like when you just start pitching stuff, like ideas just to see what, cause you need to get feedback. You know, we wouldn't have just done this randomly without getting a customer to say like, Oh yeah, I'd do that deal. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but that's sort of like what we went through. Like before we formalized it, we had to really play around with the concept and just see, talk to our customers. Like, Hey, would you be interested in, doing this, like, here's kind of what we were thinking. Um, and you shouldn't be afraid to have those conversations with customers. Like if you have ideas, I, throw them out there. You know what I mean? That's just my opinion. No, I agree. So like, we're like, the, so the base plus this tiered, like kind of TNM uh, thing, like were the, was the base still under some sort of term or was it, how, you know, like, how did you structure that? Yeah, so I think we did, um, I think we did one year. I'm trying to think of like what the, and that we adjusted it, but I think it was one year and then um, we would just kind of like renew each year. And so, yeah, we, we, to be honest, like the whole three year, and I think you and I have even talked about this before, but the, I don't necessarily, I've never agreed with like really long contracts because I, I I don't know. I just feel like if you, if putting your feet to the fire sometimes is like the best ways to, to execute and operate in the business, um, obviously you want to protect yourself and, uh, but like, it keeps you delivering and it keeps you flexible, which obviously like right now is a time where everybody needs to be flexible no matter what. Yeah. And so like people are breaking terms on contracts probably every day at this point. So at that point, do they really matter that much, whether it's five years or three years or one year? You know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, what's your thought on that? Well, I mean, this actually comes into the next question, which is like a lot of the reason why, you know, there's terms is because if you go to borrow money, right. Or you go to leverage your book of business to, you know, buy other companies or, or, uh, you know, you know, kind of grow, right. Kind of like borrow on your own dime if you would you know like when you walk into a finance you know type situation or a bank or you know we're seeing a lot of pevc people kind of you know kind of come down you know into the msp space this is this is how they're figuring it out right like they're they're looking at reoccurring revenue how long these agreements are even though i agree with you a thousand percent if somebody wants to get out they're gonna get out um you'll spend more time 
you know, litigating it than the value of the contract in a lot of cases. So um, like when the MSP sold, right. Eventually it sold. Right. Um, yeah. How did that play? Right. Like at some point they had to go in and do the due diligence and say, all right, we had this many accounts. You, these many were on, you know, reoccurring versus project versus equipment sale. Like, you know, all of that math starts to break down. How did, how yeah. did that work out? So we basically had a spreadsheet and we, cause obviously you have to have conversations with all of your customers and kind of like once the deal is like almost done, kind of let them know because you need to get a sense of like what they're going to do. Um, so w- what we did is we basically broke down like every single one of the clients and then um, had those conversations and try, you know, we did like a forecast of what is the probability of retaining, you know, uh, because we wanted to be realistic and we wanted to be transparent with the, you know, acquisition partner and say well, like, Hey, it's the, best, it's the best way to make sure you actually get your money for sure. Right. right. Yeah. Because there's, there are, you know, kind of things in the deal that will say if these people leave anyway, then it has more of a negative impact than if you just figure it out from day one. And so that was the goal was to basically look at every single one of the contracts, how long, because really we didn't factor in how long they were under contract into this, because we knew that, like you said, somebody that was kind of didn't want to go with the other company uh, because again, this, it was a local company. So there were people that actually left that company, came to our company. Now they were going back. And so you talk about like, we, there were people that we just knew would not go along with it. And so it didn't matter what their term was, they were out and we knew it. And so we had to basically go through and, and evaluate that on like a, a line by line basis and give a projection. And I think, you know, we're, we're only like, was like a year and a half out, but I, as far as I've heard, like, I think it's gone really well as far as retention. Okay. Cause you like, depending on how the deal is structured, right? Like usually we hear, I mean, I hear it's very popular to do a third, a third, a third, right? It's like a third up front, uh, then a third is tied towards, you know, you sticking around a little bit and you're, you know, help the transition and, and you're basically a consultant in the business to some degree. And then there's some sort of earn out, right? And that's where your percentage could really, blow up the back end of the deal if these people don't stick around, right? I mean, listen, that's just one way to do it. There's a lot of ways to do it now. Like a lot of people are playing in this, hey, we're going to give you, we're going to pay you in terms of shares or equity or whatever. And then like every deal is a little bit different, but hard dollars are kind of hard to come by these days, right? Like you never hear about, hey, we're just going to give you hundred percent buyout. Here you go. Have a nice day. It's very rare. Yeah, it's not like there's just a giant check that you get and they deliver it, you know, <laughs> like a thing. You take a Public picture. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's not how it goes at all. But um, yeah, and you know, and that's why there's probably a lot of MSPs right now, especially that are trying. And I, I've even talked to some that are trying to kind of think through this right now and figure out like, you know, we're we're at like this kind of next wave of the pandemic, and there, um, you know, I, I personally am unsure the way that this sort of like market's going to turn, especially like into next year. But um, if somebody's evaluating it, they should really know that like, yeah, like it's going to be 100% dependent on the partner that you find to do that deal. Unless you have somebody in the middle that's like willing to take the risk or something and pay you out. And then, you know, because there are brokers that'll do that. Uh, you know, you think about like, kind of like uh, they, those companies that advertise like for legal settlements and stuff where you just get like a, a lump a- sum and a- then... a. G. Wentworth or something like that. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. The Philly one. Yeah. So, um, 
I'm sure that there's opportunities like that floating around, but like, is it right? I, I, I you know, that would obviously be on a case by case basis. So if you could go back and affect the deal, right? Like if you got into DeLorean, went back two or three years before, before you went down this road and actually sold the company, what changes would have been made or would you have liked to have made in order to help get a larger deal price, if you would? I thought that we could have, um, I thought that we could have done a better job of restructuring our existing contracts um, because that was the focus like in the last year was trying to take some of these oldest, you know, some of these contracts were like 10 years old yeah. uh, and they were not the best contracts. Again, we were starting to work through the utilization and all of these things, but there were just some that I felt like it had we redone the contract when we should have, uh, the numbers would have been a lot better. Um, but it came down to like, oh, who was the one who negotiated that one in the beginning? Who are they most friendly with? Uh, who's going to be the one that I was always the bad news guy uh, because I didn't originate a lot of these contracts unless, you know, until like later on. So all the early contracts, because I, I kind of took on like an operations um, role. We had the, you know, we kind of had all the technical people doing the technical stuff. And then I was like the, the most capable sort of like non-technical person that was able to come in and just sort of like see things differently. You know what I mean? That didn't get bogged down by the, the technical side of the business. So like, I just became a bobblehead as far as like people came in my office with like technical issues and, uh, I would just say like, yes or no, or, you know, do this, you know, because ultimately like I didn't have the background to be able to do it, but it just, it got us kind of like moving faster because we weren't getting kind of bogged down by all of that. But nevertheless, I think that um, definitely doing like redoing the contracts, taking more time to let that sort of develop, have those conversations more frequently and then get people that were paying like way less than they should have been for way longer than they should have been up to like a normal rate. Because to be honest, that was like probably 40% of the customer base would probably would fall into that bucket. I feel like if you had an extra year in there, you could have fixed uh, the, the imbalance, right? Cause mm -hmm. like you said that, that like things started to really pick up towards the back end. Right. And then you never got these guys to kind of, you know, get up to that level. Right. Yeah, and I, I consider it like um, shedding your skin. Like I, this is something I wrote uh, on our site a lot. It's like you, the snake, the reason that it sheds the skin every so often is because it needs to hit that next like growth phase, right? And so you got to like shed the skin. There was a lot of customers that probably would have just like left. Um, and I, if we had done that earlier, we would have been able to generate more profit because, you know, uh, they, in, when it was all said and done, the customers that weren't generating profit, we really didn't make any money off of them when the company sold. You were working for free, basically. Right. Or you were losing so, money for them. So had we kind of been able to shed those earlier on, we would have been able to get further faster. And then I feel like we would have had, it would have shaken much better, you know, shaken out much better when the deal kind of was executed. Okay, so let's let's go the other way. If you were to restart it all over again, hey, let's take a second run at it, guys. Let's start from scratch. What would the what would the blueprint look like? So, I would definitely um, 
rethink the model completely, like as far as, you know, kind of like what we were saying is like, what is the negative space? How can I align interests in both ways? I would probably do the tech success from day one. Um, I would do it from a vertical specific standpoint uh, and probably start with one vertical and then start to kind of like copy that over as I saw success. Um, and I would just focus on that. I would focus on, you know, kind of building up the, the audience, getting content heavy, uh, kind of just everything that we do. And I would just try to wiggle my way in the middle of an industry and then solve everybody's problems that I can come in contact with. Uh, and sometimes that's not transactional. Sometimes that's just, hey, um, you know, let's do this together, do that together, or introduce me to that person and that kind of thing. Uh, and so I would just, that would, that's what I would do is just sort of like insert myself into an industry, try to be a problem solver and create solutions that they need. And sometimes that's going to fit the MSP model. And sometimes that's not. So let me ask this question then. Does, I, I, I already know my answer, but I'm curious to hear if you agree. Is it better to be a very good technical shop and just grow through word of mouth and just, you know, do a little bit of sales and marketing, or is it better to be just okay at the technical, but be really good at sales and marketing? What's the better outcome? I think it depends on your market. Like there are some really, so it's uh, New York city, for example, there's some really good, like basically I call them like VCIO shops where everybody's a rock star and they're basically just charging insane rates. Uh, and they're just a group of a band of consultants. You know what I mean? And so like, that is a good model. Uh, I wouldn't go into that model and say, I'm going to do this model, but then I'm going to have a thousand customers because those things don't mix. It's like, you should basically have like two customers for every one of those like rock stars that you have. And then you have like a really high uh, revenue per contract. And uh, obviously it all makes sense. Uh, if you're going to go into it and say, I'm going to grow this to as many customers as I can, and I want 50 million in revenue and, you know, uh, then yeah, you need to find a better balance of, of the technical and non-technical uh, because you know, there is this curve to where you can provide this extra layer of service that doesn't show up, right? Like it's, you, if you're meeting expectations versus if you're exceeding expectations, sometimes uh, the exceeding the expectation has this like compounding extra cost that, does, that you don't actually benefit from. And so is that, you know, I see you shaking your head. Is that kind of like the way that you think about this? I mean, listen, I, I've... I've run into hundreds of MSPs, you know, through, through my journey here. And I've seen different shapes, different sizes, different ideas. I mean, this one you bring up was, like I said, I've never heard of it before. And I've been bouncing around the planet, you know, like, you know, on a, on a plane every, you know, when, when planes are flying and, um, and I've heard some really cool stuff. I mean, here's the reality, right? Like, you know, and again, I'm not trying to steal everybody else's content. Here's the reality, right? Like if you're just doing it to get by and, you know, lifestyle, whatever they call it, and you just got to kind of, you know, play as you go, then you're never working backwards from an end game, right? 
like the people who are working backwards from an end game see the world completely differently. They spend their money completely differently. They design their businesses to work completely differently, right? So like you even bring it up in your experience, right? Where when you guys were like, all right, we got to put the pedal down so that we can build this thing. You shifted the entire model. You changed the way you delivered service. You, you know, you did your math differently, right? Because there was an end game in sight, right? So you're working backwards from something in my opinion. Um, you know, a lot of the guys out there, just like the guy, you know, that started the MSP you were working with are, are owner led, right? Like they are, the, the owner is the original tech guy, right? He's a guy that went out on the street originally. He's a guy that got underneath the desk originally. And, you know, as time goes on, they just either, they stop wanting to do that part of it or they get burnt out or they realize that they're actually not making money, right? Like at some point that realization sets in and then you get into the question of, should I merge? Should I join? Should I buy? Should I just go work for somebody else? Like all these things start to, to kind of whittle into the thought pattern. So yeah, to, to, to your point, like, because a lot of the people out there are in that profile, right? They spend tens of thousands of dollars outside to have somebody else be the face or to have somebody else deliver the message. And only so many times have I seen that to be successful. I really had like, they're like, oh, I'm going to, I don't do sales and marketing. Let me pay somebody else to do that. But then they're, they don't understand that they have to be a part of that conversation in order for it to work, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, I believe that completely. That's why, you know, from you know, MSG Growth Hacks standpoint, like we've actually started working on ways to like create basically like a new service offering where just taking like raw, like thought leadership content and then breaking it up and creating like a marketing plan from it, you know? And so, you know, just even if it's, we're getting on a call with somebody for 60 minutes and then taking that video and now it's like 100% unique, it's original. And it's like them being the star of the show. And it's not just a template that they're, getting handed to and sticking their logo on or something like that. Um, because really like the, it needs to come from within, you know what I mean? Like that's where it's really valuable and where it's really unique is when it's, it's, it's them and it's their true self and for better or for worse, you know? No, fair enough. So like, since you've created all of these growth hack strategies, right. Which is, by the way, I love that. I know a lot of people have used that before. Um, like, we have a few minutes left. Like, what are your top one, two, three hacks, right? I mean, what, what are the, the ideas that people can take away to really just spark, spark something and, and make a shift here? So, yeah, like as far as things that are working right now, um, I have clients that are doing uh, events. Obviously, the, the event thing is not new, and it, you can even argue that it's got to a saturation point at one point a few months ago, but... Um, honestly, like I've had a few that have a lot of success recently with just doing, like having a, a small event, doing outreach, uh, on LinkedIn, hundred percent free, inviting people to this virtual event, offering like something like a $25 gift card or something. Uh, and then obviously like you can email opt-in in return, you can get a vendor to sponsor the event. You can get an MDF, uh, normally that'll offset all of the costs. And then if you get 20 people, which it's normally, everybody has like between 500 and a thousand LinkedIn contacts. Anyway, uh, if you can get, you know, 20 people in there, you can start to retarget and remarket and, and do like an email trip and all of that after the fact. 
and I've seen some success with that. Um, just doing consistent, you know, it's better to, and this is what I really try to stress is like, set a realistic expectation for what you can do. You know, don't get somebody to write 12 blog posts, post them in a week, and then don't post anything for <laughs> three months. You know what I mean? Um, start to come at it to where you're creating content, but then you're leveraging that content in multiple ways. For, you know, so this podcast, you could do 10 clips and post them for the next 10 weeks, you know, and I'd be grateful if you did, but I, <laughs> but you know, so like just kind of like leveraging everything you have. So instead of like, you know, and you could maybe pay somebody to, um, you know, what I, a thing that I get quite frequently is like, oh, do I need to spend like five grand on a new website when really like their website just kind of like looks like everybody else's. It's not great. It's not different, but it's really lacking just content. Like if you just were to take that five grand and create a bunch of content for it, now that website uh, that really probably wouldn't get much more traffic it were, if it were redesigned, now it has more earning potential, you know? No, that's really good feedback. Um, how much time should you know people be spent like if they don't have a, a dedicated marketing person and if they don't have an outside consultant they want to just you know kind of bootstrap it right start cutting up videos and creating blog posts and stuff like that how much time a week would somebody should put put into that i personally always try to like leverage existing meetings on my calendar to record content and it's it annoys people because i and if you look at like some of our recent articles they're really like I include videos from people um, that sometimes it's just like, hey, I email them 30 minutes before I say, do you mind if we record like 10 minutes real quick? Because I'm, I'm writing this article and I'd like like a quick feedback on it. Because I know that uh, an article that contains a video performs substantially better, the, the bounce is lower, it's better optimized on Google. And I can put my call to action under the video, which is like sign up for MSP Spark or buy a book. And it freezes people on the page. And then, so it just works better. And so rather than me talking into a can for 10 minutes, I just leverage the appointments I already have. Um, you know, and, and ultimately it's, I like giving other people the platform too, you know? Uh, and so that's the other thing. It's like, sometimes you need to go into it and say, you know, I'm going to, maybe I'm gonna have, I have a meeting with my customer I'm going to spend an extra five minutes talking with them, 10 minutes talking with them about a topic and I'm going to make them look good and I'm going to promote it. And then they're going to cross promote. I mean, I can't be any easier than that. You're already going to have the conversation. You ask them for permission to record it. Yeah. Take a couple of good nuggets from it and there's your content. Right. Yeah. And you can, you can take the extra step and have somebody polish it up for you. But honestly, I think um, just putting it out, you know, in raw state is fine too. I would do, just do it, see what the feedback you get. I would, and it's funny because if I don't get negative feedback, I assume something's good because you're always going to get more negative than you get positive. Uh, you know, so like if, if there's not somebody telling me like, Hey, this is terrible. You got to take this down. Like I'll assume that it's been, you know, it's working. Uh, and bad, so bad, bad news always travels faster than good. <laughs> that always right. Yeah. No, yeah, I so don't get frustrated. 
No, hey, listen, if you, you got to, and listen, over time, it should get better, right? You get more used to it. You're a little bit more, less camera shy, right? You're willing to go a little bit, you know, into topics that you normally wouldn't go into. So I think there's a time effect to it too, right? Yeah, I was not, you know, I was not a writer. I was not like a speaker. I still am not either of those things, even though I write like two 1200 word articles and have written a book. Uh, like it, it's funny. It's just, but I, I know that I have to get this information out there and to build an audience around it. And so that's what I've done. And so uh, I'm, I'm always learning more and I'm always improving the way that I do all of those things, whether it's like speaking or uh you know, doing interviews or writing. Um, but I, I don't get discouraged when it doesn't go perfectly because to be honest, like that, that's not all, all I do. <laughs> now, fair enough. So Kevin, how do people find you, your stuff? How do they figure, find your book? Like where do they find all these cool additional growth hack strategies? Go for it. So yeah, you can uh, go to mspgrowthhacks.com. Everything's on there. Um, this is sort of like, you know, it's a, it's a blog. It's a, it's in its purest state, uh, but we have some additional services on there. There's links to the book, which is also available on Amazon. Um, we have MSP spark, which is uh, our like premium newsletter. It's 10, actually 11 with bonus uh, content ideas that we send out every Monday. Um, and so check that out. Uh, and I'll actually create a 40% off, uh, code and I'll put uh, MSP initiative would be the coupon code. So I'm going to do that right now. I'm mute. You get something for watching these. How about that? That's, <laughs> that's good news. So I, number one, for everyone who is watching this and will watch this, this and all of our other videos are on mspinitiative.com and Facebook and YouTube and LinkedIn. So you can find them all. Kevin, I really appreciate you jumping on. I know you're a little bit under the weather, but I think, Today's session was fantastic and um, definitely check out mspgrowthhacks.com. We'll as, as much as possible, try and keep to our Mondays or I'm sorry, Tuesdays and Thursdays. I'm already discombobulated one o'clock Eastern time sessions and uh, we'll hope to have Kevin back soon. Thanks for joining.